the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. We thought that uh, rather than allowing you to embarrass yourself, remember last year, you, you know what happened, yeah. That whole turkey experience thing where you, you all wound up going to McDonald's, yeah. Well, we're going to try to avoid that experience being repeated for you uh, around uh, your holiday table this Thanksgiving. We thought we'd spend some time with our butterball turkey expert, Charlotte Draper, who gives us some insights on how to make the perfect board for the perfect Thanksgiving. And Charlotte, a, a happy early Thanksgiving to you. And thank you. Same to you, Craig, and your listeners. You know, this is, for me, an exciting time of the year. I always love Thanksgiving. It is kind of one of the culinary highlights of the year. We kind of pull out all the stops around my household, and that means, of course, the turkey, all the trimmings, and we do pasta, and we do uh, um, garlic uh, um, prawns, and I mean, on and on the list goes. And it's a a gastronomical experience, to be sure, around my household. And as many Americans, of course, like to celebrate, Thanksgiving. Some of us have learned how to cook the perfect turkey. Others are absolutely intimidated by the experience, and still others do our best and and wind up embarrassing ourselves. So I thought maybe we'd we'd lead off tonight with you just kind of giving us some basic insights on how to kind of cook the flawless turkey. And I guess maybe the the first lesson is that this business of preparing a turkey is not nearly as complex as it seems, is it? No, it's not. And the important things about cooking the turkey are to remember the four T's. And those are um, sort of some principles we use here at uh, the Butterball Turkey Talk Line. The four T's include thaw. You want to make sure that if you're cooking a frozen butterball turkey, the turkey is completely thawed. Temperature, you want to make sure that you cook it using a meat thermometer to the most accurate doneness, and uh, a turkey breast should come to 170, the turkey thigh should register 180 to 185, and if you happen to stuff your turkey, the very center of the stuffing should register 165. The third T would be the two-hour rule. You want to try to get the turkey um, removed from the carcass and back in the refrigerator within two hours after cooking. And the final T would be three days to eat. You want to eat the turkey that may be be left over and in the refrigerator in three days. However, if you're not eating as fast as that turkey will last, you want to cut it into um, portion-sized containers and put it in the freezer. So those are the uh, four guidelines we use here in terms of having a successful turkey. 
Let's now. talk about a, a few of the basic steps. Now, of course, and, and you've kind of alluded to part of this, that uh, proper basic uh, food preparation is really critically important here. And toward that end, some people panic because they bought a frozen bird, didn't allow enough time to thaw it, and they come up with all kinds of crazy ideas to try to get the turkey thawed fast. Others, uh, in doing so, of course, are, are running the risk of, of, of some potential, uh, you know, un pleasant gastronomical experiences. So kind of give us some insights, if you would, Chandra, on how we go about uh, making sure that we stay healthy as we prepare and care for that bird. Well, you want to make sure that you're thawing your turkey in the refrigerator, no on-the-counter thawing. And a turkey takes about um, much longer to thaw than we anticipate. For example, a 15-pound turkey, which is an average size, that turkey is going to thaw in the refrigerator in three to four days. And as an extra guideline, I would plan on four days. Now, that doesn't include the Thanksgiving day. So running out and buying this thing Wednesday night before Thanksgiving and buying a frozen turkey, not a good idea. That's a challenge, but you can still use the cold water thaw method. And if you are using the cold water thaw method on Wednesday night, you'll need 9 to 11 hours to thaw the turkey, keep the turkey in its original wrapper, and put it breast down in a large container or sink of cold water. If you're able to change the water every 30 minutes, the thawing will go faster. But the key is to make sure the turkey is breast down and stays submerged in the water. And when that water starts to warm up a little bit, should it be changed? You can change the water uh, as it warms up. But, you know, a rock-solid turkey is really going to keep that water pretty cold. And no ice, just tap water. I have had calls where people have the turkey in the sink in the cold water method, but they also have ice, so they're kind of working against themselves. Yeah, that that makes sense. Don't don't uh, don't make it more difficult here, as the case may be. Uh, let's talk about some methodology in terms of um, uh, cooking the bird. Now, I, I know there are some folks that are just absolute wild fans over the so-called deep-fried turkey. For me, that always seemed to be not only uh, an awful lot of oil to have to buy and then deal with afterwards, but I guess if it's not done under the right conditions, we hear stories all the time about people that burned down the garage because they decided they were going to deep fry their turkey. Your thoughts on that? Deep fried turkeys are perfectly safe to do provided you are using safe guidelines. We recommend that you use the Butterball Turkey Fryer, which is very safe. It has some built-in safety features. If the oil for some reason gets above the recommended temperature, it will automatically shut off. And the uh, basket that you lower the turkey into the oil in, you know, it has a definite um, marker where you can see if you have too much oil in the um, vessel for frying your turkey. The keys to frying a turkey uh, are to make sure your turkey is completely thawed and is not icy in the center and you want to pat it dry. You don't want to put the turkey into the hot oil with um, any moisture on there. 
you know, oil and water that's... Um, Don't mix. That, that's correct. <laughs> yeah. That's not a recipe we want to work with. Now, talk to me a bit about um, just the good old-fashioned slow roasting method. Give us an idea in terms of the actual bird preparation, uh, cooking temperature, cooking time. Well, you, that's funny you should say the good old-fashioned slow roasting method. You're, uh, that's sort of a throwback. And this year we're celebrating Throwback Thursday because we've been talking turkey and helping consumers and cooks all over the country for about 35 years. And our recommended method of cooking the turkey has remained the same throughout that time. We recommend you place your turkey breast up on a flat rack in an open shallow pan and you don't necessarily have to have a fancy turkey roaster you can certainly use the disposable pans you can pick up in any grocery store you want to uh, when you're ready to cook the turkey open the turkey up make sure you look into the turkey body cavity and remove the giblets there'll be a There'll be, um, the turkey neck would be in the body cavity, and where the turkey's neck originally was, there's um, a small cavity that has a plastic bag that contains the giblets, and so you want to remove those before you cook your turkey. Set your oven at 325 degrees. We at Butterball feel that low, slow roasting will give you the best turkey. Season the turkey however you'd like. Brush your turkey with a little bit of vegetable oil to prevent the skin from drying. And we recommend vegetable oil and not butter because sometimes butter will give you kind of a spotty appearance when the turkey is done. Place the turkey into your preheated oven and let the turkey brown. brown first. Once it's brown to your liking, at that point, put a foil tent loosely over the turkey breast to protect it from overbrowning. We suggest you're using a meat thermometer. You can use a roasting thermometer or an instant read thermometer. Now, if you're using an instant read thermometer, follow the recommended cooking guidelines on the butterball package and once you get into the area of done for the size turkey that you have at that point check the temperature with an instant read the turkey thigh should register 180 to 185 and the turkey breast should register 165 to 70. Now, Charlotte, with a bird going at 325 on the temperature setting, what's the average or recommended time per pound that it should cook? You know, we really don't give a recommendation uh, from Butterball Kitchens for minutes per pound. It really is based on the outcome and and therefore the reason why the need for the thermometer then. Yeah, the most accurate indicator of doneness is to use a thermometer. If you had to ballpark it, if I said between 12 and 15 minutes per pound, is that kind of about right? You know, that's tough because, you know, turkeys are all different. And stuffed versus unstuffed, of course, changes it too, doesn't it? Yeah, exactly. If you're stuffing the turkey, there will be a little bit longer cook time, but you want to make sure the very center of the stuffing 
comes up to the proper temperature, which should be 165. And, of course, uh, how we handle things like the uh, the giblets and all is a part of one of the keys we're going to share. Can you stay with us for one second, Charla? Sure. We're going to take a quick time out and uh, come back and find out, okay, so you were careful to remove the bag of giblets and the neck. Now, what do you do with it? If you're in my house, the neck goes back in because your father loves the neck. And, of course, uh, the giblets, well, we'll find out what to do with those in just a moment. If you've tuned in a bit late, one turkey, that would be me, sharing some uh, turkey tips for you as uh, we head into Thanksgiving. A brief time out back with more as Lifeline continues. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. We're talking turkeys on today's program, and no, we're not talking about me, just to set the record straight. We're talking about the one that's on your table for Thanksgiving, not in your radio at the moment. Charla Draper's with us, butterball turkey expert. And before we get to your calls, um, the giblets, I'll be honest with you, Charla, for years I was intimidated by them. I didn't know what to do. I kind of felt guilty. I took the bag and tossed it in the trash can. I've since learned that they can actually be a wonderful part of the uh, the gravy for the turkey, but tell us what to do with them. Uh, yes, the giblets do add quite a bit of flavor to the gravy, and uh, what you want to do is take them out of the bag. You'll find um, a liver, the gizzard, and the heart in there, and you also will have the turkey neck. And to cook your giblets, you would want to cook them in about one and a half to, excuse me, you want to cook them in about three cups of water, one and a half to two hours. You want to add about a half a teaspoon of salt to the water. Now, in cooking the giblets, we suggest that you cook the heart and the gizzard and the neck from the beginning. And then if you'd like to add the liver, add the liver during your last 20 minutes of cooking because sometimes the liver can give a really strong flavor to the um, broth for your gravy. Once the giblets are cut and, uh, excuse me, are cooked and very tender, you want to chop them up and you can simply add them to the gravy once it's made and heat it thoroughly. And if you're not making your gravy from scratch, you may be using gravy that comes with one of our butterball turkeys. You just follow the directions on the gravy packet and then add the giblets in and heat it thoroughly. Now, for folks that perhaps are are driving, didn't get a chance to uh, make notes on all of this stuff, um, tell us where they can go to get uh, the clear instructions, not only for the perfect gravy, but ultimately for the perfect turkey. You can get all these instructions on Butterball.com, or you can call us here at 1-800-BUTTERBALL. We will be here manning the talk line, helping cooks throughout the country through Thanksgiving Day. Actually, the Turkey Talk Line will be open through Christmas Eve. And we are open Christmas Day and Thanksgiving Day. Fantastic. And again, online at Butterball.com or by calling 1-800-BUTTERBALL. Make a note of that. Our thanks to uh, Charlotte Draper for being with us. Give us some great insights on how to fix the perfect turkey for uh, your Thanksgiving meal. Now, as we move from one expert, let's move to others. We're going to start first with, uh, oddly enough, we'll start the conversation with Charlotte in Oakland. Charlotte, come on in and tell us how to go about uh, cooking the perfect turkey turkey in your household well this is a no-fell recipe um and any any dummy can do it 
That's what I say. Um, I usually buy the pre-cooked uh, smoked turkeys from Butterball. Okay. Already made, done. All you got to do is pop it in the oven and... Voila, and it's really good too. And that, that makes it gives you more more time to enjoy family, doesn't it? Absolutely. Because I know around my house, <laughs> the, the chaos begins sometime on Tuesday and runs all the way through the end of of Thursday with all this Absolutely. preparation. And so, without having to cook the bird, that makes it a lot easier, doesn't it? Absolutely, and it's tasty too. So, all right, good to know. Let's move on next here to Tammy in uh, oh the city of my hometown, South San Francisco. And Tammy, come on in. Tell us what's your secret for the perfect bird. Okay, hi, thanks. Um, so, uh, honestly, the way my grandma and my mom taught me how to do it, they actually use butter, and I think it's just because we don't really um, care too much about the appearance as long as it's done. But we, what we do is we take some butter and we uh, put a little bit of salt and pepper and we also cut up half of an onion and then we'll microwave it and then pour it over the turkey um, and then the thawed out raw turkey. And then after that, we'll season it with just salt and pepper. That's it. And then we actually cook ours overnight. So we'll put it on a very low temperature, like maybe a little bit under 200 and we'll put it in the oven and it cooks, you know, well overnight, and then we'll wake up about 6 or 7 in the morning and take it out, and then it's done. Um, and then, but on the inside of the turkey, the only thing we put in there, we actually put a whole onion in the middle. Like, we'll cut it in half, and then put it inside of the turkey and then cook it overnight. Sounds good. And I, I'm with you. Uh, I, I use, a, I make kind of a paste and I mm-hmm. like to use a little bit of butter and a little bit of olive oil. And then yeah. in there I mix garlic, salt and pepper and paprika to give the turkey some added color. And that kind of gets uh, pasted on the, the, both the outside and the inside of the bird and adds a real nice flavor to it. Yeah, it does. All right. Well, thanks so much for calling. Let's move on next here to uh, Lynette in San Leandro. Lynette, what's your secret for the perfect turkey? Hi. Thanks for taking my call. Um, Can you hear me okay? Just fine. Go right ahead. Great, great. So I don't know if I do a little too much, but it's what I do. I will brine my turkey for uh, 24 to 36 hours. I used to have a recipe, but um, that was way too much work for ingredients I don't normally carry in the home. So I just buy a brining mix. Um, You could buy it anywhere, but last year I bought it from Whole Foods and then um, on Thanksgiving Day, we you know take out the turkey out of the brining bag, and um, we do use the um, that injectable oh, sure. <laughs> syringe and add some butter deep into the the meat. And of course, um, I don't do the the vegetable oil. I you know I put butter around the turkey uh, inside and out, and then I put it in an oven Reynolds bag and. Last year's turkey was absolutely delicious. Now, I'm, I'm curious because I don't know that I've ever had one that's been brined. I would imagine it makes it a lot juicier, doesn't it? it that's the idea, yes. And I just follow the directions on the bag. So, um, you know, if it says 20, I can't remember, but I think it's at least 24 hours and you brine it upside down, breast down, rather. Um, I just put it inside a... Um, uh, an ice chest cooler okay. uh, with ice, and uh, you know it's pretty cold in November, and and that 
Or if, depending on the size of your turkey, you may be able to fit the, the bag inside your refrigerator, but that's, you know, not necessary. Um, the ice chest method works really well. Sounds good. I don't know that I've ever had a brine turkey. Make sure you have her address. I think I'm going to go to her house for Thanksgiving. Thank you, uh, Lynette. Appreciate you sharing. All right, Kathy, come on in. Tell us, what is your family's secret for the best turkey for Thanksgiving? Well, what I do, uh, I wash it real good. And uh, before I uh, put it in the stove, I put a cube of butter in there. Uh, I put uh, a little salt, a little pepper, a little garlic salt, and a little Caesar salt, just a little bit. And I cook that bird on the stomach, on the chest, chest cavity down. Okay. And uh, I cook it slow. Until I start smelling it, all through the night, I let it cook real slow, like on 250. And when I start smelling it in the morning, I'll get up and take it out of the stove, and I will leave it on the uh, on the countertop for a little bit until it cools, and then I'll flip it over on the back and let it and let it uh, let it go ahead and cook all the way through. And the the the, the turkey breast will actually melt in your mouth. Mm, that sounds good. And you know that that waking up to the smell of turkey cooking in the house. Oh, isn't that just the greatest smell in the world? I'm telling you, you can't. I know it's done. I know it's time for me to flip it when I start smelling the aroma. Just go all through the house. Oh yes. I'm it's like, don't don't open up any windows because we don't want to lose that smell. Oh, that's great stuff. All right, last up, we've got uh, Cynthia on the line. Cynthia, come on in and tell us what is the secret for the best turkey in your household. Well, mine is just uh, using the butter, the garlic, and lemon. Lemon, really? That, yes, yes. Gives a little and tang I, to it then, huh? Yes, and I actually cut up lemon and put it in the cavity of the turkey while I'm cooking it. You know, that's a that's an interesting idea. I might have to try that this year because I like a little tanginess. And, of course, anybody who likes lemon chicken, why not some lemon in the turkey, right? Yeah, and you could actually put a little bit of uh, orange orange also. Huh, okay, I like yeah. that idea. Mm-hmm. All right, duly noted. Thanks to all of you for calling and sharing your family secrets. You have a list of addresses and everything, right, Jarrell? Because I want to go back over my notes here and decide whose house I'm going to show up for Thanksgiving. <laughs> all right, and our thanks again to uh, Charlotte Draper, Butterball Turkey Expert. Again, you want to get some great tips on how to cook the perfect turkey this Thanksgiving? Online at Butterball.com or by calling 1-800-BUTTERBALL now through Thanksgiving. They're answering the telephones literally 24 hours a day. So if you get a hang, I, you know, uh, me, I like turkey even in the middle of the year. People kind of think it's a Thanksgiving thing, certainly, or Christmas time. Sometimes I just pick up a turkey. It's May. Let's do turkey. Love a good turkey. All right. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. At a prayer vigil and rally today, these African-American pastors and other pro-life supporters charged Planned Parenthood with, quote, blatant racism and said the group targets African-American women for abortions. They want Congress to stop their funding. Planned Parenthood, no more will you receive one dime uh, dipped in the blood of black children. Today we come to stop what Planned Parenthood is doing. We want to break it, bring an end to the genocide of African-American babies. Part of what prompted this protest are some phone calls now on YouTube by pro-life advocates to Planned Parenthood clinics around the country. The callers were testing the employees to see if they would accept money intended for specific race-based abortions. Here's an example of a call to an Ohio clinic. When I underwrite abortion, does that apply to minorities too? 
specifically want it to underwrite an abortion for a minority person, you can target it that way. You can you can specify that that's how you want it spent. Okay, yeah, because there's, so de there's definitely way too many black people in Ohio, so I'm just trying to do my part. Wow. Now, as unbelievable as that bit of audio that you heard is, uh, it's absolutely true. And it's absolutely incredible that there are members of the African-American community who don't get that, who don't understand the genocide taking place right underneath their noses. Thank God for people like Reverend Walter Hoy, who's been a frequent guest on this program that has been working on billboards to help educate people across the country as to the genocide that's taking place. Well, not a remarkable new conversation that has come to light. Uh, comments made by Reverend Carlton Vasey, who is with the, quote, Religious Coalition for Reproductive Choice, close quote. Sounds a lot like military intelligence to me. That is now suggesting that women need abortion because political forces have denied them health care. With some insights on this, Kim Katola joins us. She's a pro-life advocate, former host of CBS News Talk Powerhouse WCCO Radio. And she joins us now by phone. Kim, thanks so much for taking some time to be with us. What is your reaction to, to the remarks by by uh, Reverend Vizi on this topic? This idea that, that women find abortion as a necessity because, quote-unquote, political forces are denying them health care. Well, first of all, Craig, uh, thank you so much for the invitation to speak. You know, I've been listening um, throughout the program today, and I love your show open about comforting the afflicted and afflicting the comfortable, and I, I entrust the second half of that dictum to you. <laughs> I'm really called to comfort the afflicted. This is my interest in the issue because I know the lifelong consequences of abortion. And the idea that abortion is health care for women or that women need abortion because there's some gap to access to health care is um, not true. And it's a, it's a non sequitur. One doesn't follow from the other. Um, generally, the people who perform an abortion on a woman are not part of the woman's health care team, even part of her health, reproductive health care team. Uh, abortion practitioners tend to specialize, if you will. They're specialists just like, you know, they're a specialist to remove spleens, if you, uh, if you want to put it in those terms. And uh, there's seldom any sort of relationship requiring any bedside manner or health care beyond the procedure for the person to be giving to the woman. Uh, it's a separate entity in the lives of women. What, what I find completely unconscionable about this, Kim, is the fact that uh, Reverend Carlton Vesey, who is with the Religious Coalition for Reproductive Choice, um, recently participated in an interview on National Public Radio, uh, the audio which, by the way, is, is posted on Kim's website, and we'll share the address with you in a moment. Uh, what I find absolutely shocking is here's an African-American who is basically advocating abortion on demand in the black community, uh, apparently either ignorant of or choosing to ignore the fact that while fully more than 30% of the abortions that are performed in America today, 30% um, of them are African-American women who apprise 13% of the U.S. population, divided in half, because of course half of that number are men, and the last time I checked, men couldn't have kids, so we're talking about 6.5% of the U.S. population, but then we have to narrow it down to those of childbearing years. So in reality then, Kim, 
3.25% of the U.S. population is having 30% of the abortions in America, and somebody like Reverend, uh, Reverend uh, Vizi doesn't see that as a problem? It's stunning, isn't it? And, you know, in the debate that you're referring to, it was, I think, July 18th was the date, um, and it aired on NPR. Um, both the host and Reverend Vizi took issue with Ryan Bomberger's initiative, TooManyAborted.com. He's uh, got an organization called the Radiance Foundation. I'm not personally acquainted with Mr. Bomberger, but I'm very much an admirer of his work. And in their conversation about whether or not these billboards have any merit and whether or not they're based in truth, Reverend Vizi pretty much said that, well, the reasons that those rates are higher have to do with other factors, uh, that, um, you know, this has to do with poor educational opportunities and this has to do with uh, socioeconomic pressures, uh, and that Planned Parenthood is there providing health care. It's not just that they're there for abortions. And, and, you know, there's no, first of all, there's no logic to his, to the thread. I mean, I we'll give him the benefit of the doubt and maybe say that maybe something was edited, <laughs> you know, in, because I know that happens in radio. But the way that his statement came across in the interview that NPR aired, uh, it follows the logic that I've heard from organizations such as those that Reverend Beasy represents and, and other people who are clergy. And the reason why this is so um, important to my heart is that as a person, a person that is who suffered from abortion, I knew that it was immoral after I had made that mistake. Uh, and when I went looking for a resolution to the guilt, people condoning it to me and people telling me that I had done nothing wrong only increased my distress and that is what you know when when women go to clergy when women hear from someone who has the title reverend in front of their name that there's no moral problem with killing an innocent child uh, all we're doing is denying them their one opportunity to find repentance their one opportunity to find redemption in our lord and so um for me personally it's it's distressing that clergy would be perpetuating moral confusion. Well, and I think in that moral confusion too, Kim, it is setting women up for, in some cases, a lifetime of an internal rage that results from the confusion raised by an innate sense of, this is a baby, this is part of my DNA. This does represent me insofar as, you know, 10 little fingers and 10 tiny toes, etc., etc. And there, there's something, I think, innate in us in the core understanding that, yes, this is a life and that no amount of denial otherwise is going to change that factor. And then women find themselves suddenly in, in, in a post-traumatic stress disorder kind of arena where they feel guilty, they are confused, they are angry. Uh, there's a whole host of emotions going on on, and instead of providing hope and healing and restoration for women that are in a post-abortive situation, instead what these kinds of, of, of so-called ministers are doing, and I, I put that in quotes, they, they are exacerbating the problem. They are, in fact, adding to the anger and the frustration and the rage and the confusion, and and instead of helping out, they're, they're actually making the situation worse. I, I want to pause on that point for a moment, uh, because when we come back after the corner, a topic uh, too important 
important not to get down to uh, some debate on, and that is this notion that women are being forced into this. They're being left no other choice than to abort because, again, in the words of Reverend Vesey, women need abortion because political forces have denied them health care. Excuse me? I'm Craig Roberts. Back to more of our conversation with Kim Katola as this edition of Lifeline continues. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. Back to the conversation. Our guest tonight is Kim Katola. She is a former host of CBS News Talk Powerhouse WCCO Radio and um, joining us tonight to give some insights as to uh, what seems to be yet the next level in this ongoing debate. An important one, I think, because as we have articulated on this program in the past, there is a genocide taking place in America today. It's clear. It's concise. It's calculated. It is being driven by organizations like Planned Parenthood and sadly being entirely ignored by so-called leadership within the church today, and shockingly so, by members of the African-American church, who apparently, Kim, have chosen to sort of whistle past the cemetery and pretend as if all of this is not happening. What I don't understand is that Barack Obama comes into office. In the first 24 hours of his presidency, he reverses um, what had been a long-standing so-called Mexico City policy, Title X funding, the very first official act that he engages in is basically a thank you tip of the hat to the uh, the abortion industry. And then on top of that, uh, sets in pace the most dramatic change in health care in the history of our nation. And now suddenly suggests, suggests that political forces are denying women health care in America. And that's the reason why they need abortion. I don't quite get the logic there. Well, it's, it's actually a logical fallacy. It's called poisoning the well. So if you can convince people that those who are opposed to killing the unborn because they're a human being, that they're opposed to it on political grounds and they're playing politics with women's lives and all the other uh, rhetorical slogans that get thrown around, if you can convince them that these are religious fundamentalists and that they're uh, playing politics and they just have an agenda and that there is no human life, and that there is no grief reaction, including the rage that you so eloquently described before the break, Craig, well, then, sure, it makes sense. You know, you're playing politics with women's lives. It sounds like a, you know, a serious charge. But, of course, it's all political on both sides. And the Religious Coalition for Reproductive Choice, first of all, check the name. A coalition is a political organization. And indeed, if you look at what their activities involve, they're heavily involved in the justice aspect of the abortion question, and they have, uh, you know, legislative activity all over their organizational literature and websites. Well, if they were going to even be true to their moniker, it would suggest that they would be as equally defensive of those on the Planned Parenthood side of the equation as they would be maybe uh, demonstrating on behalf of First Amendment rights of those involved in the pro-life movement, because after all, if you are supporting reproductive choice, doesn't that suggest that it's an either-or, meaning you either abort the child or keep the child? If so, where is the voice that is being lent to the saving of the child's life side of this equation. Apparently, in reality, there is none. Well, and, you know, when Reverend Carlton Vesey said to Ryan Bomberger on this NBR interview you referred to earlier, um, earlier this month, 
he said to him, you, you have moral on your side, but we, are, we also have morals on our side. And that's a problem for a, a person who is representing God's word. I mean, there's morals, and there's truth, and there's something else. There is not morals on your side and morals on my side. I mean, either, either abortion takes the life of an unborn child or it doesn't. And either you believe that's unjust or you don't. And you can go to God's word as your moral standard or you can simply go to human decency. But you can't both be right about the truth. Well, the other irony behind this very twisted line of thinking, too, that is being promoted by those in the religious community uh, that come down on the side of the equation of, of this issue is the idea that somehow, because there are certain societal ills that have to be dealt with, whether we're talking about lack of opportunity, lack of education, uh, lack of proper health care, etc., etc., that somehow we're going to be able to address or cure a social ill uh, through the extermination of a people group. I mean, if we're going to take that reasoning, then all of us ought to applaud Adolf Hitler because they considered the, the Jewish question to be a social ill in Europe during the Second World War, and their final solution, so-called, to that problem was the elimination of an entire people group. I don't understand if, if we apply evenly and fairly, Kim, that same reasoning across the board, then it seems to me that America or the world owes Adolf Hitler an apology. Well, I, I really, again, want to give credit to Ryan Bomberger, and you can find the interview on his website on, I think, the Radiance Foundation is the name of his organization. If you Google that, you find him. And what you'll see, I think, as you, as you look at his work to raise awareness and to educate on this issue, is his deep and abiding respect for black families and his love for black children and his wish to see them, you know, be given life and be given a chance at life and a deep and abiding respect for black women, that they would be treated with the dignity of motherhood, you know, um, as opposed to the statements of Reverend Vesey. And what's interesting is the Guttmacher Institute, the, the NPR host, um, said that uh, the Guttmacher Institute was a nonpartisan organization. <laughs> which which is fully owned and operated by Planned Parenthood. Well, and I don't know that they still are, but they certainly began there. But they, they also state clearly in all of their literature that they are an abortion rights organization. Now, that's political, isn't it, if we're talking about rights? Absolutely. The so Marker Institute put out, put out this report, which the Los Angeles Times published in 2008, about the racial disparities in abortion. And indeed, noting from the Guttmacher Institute again, an abortion advocacy organization, that this racial disparity is real. But they concluded, because they always do policy analysis in addition to their so-called reporting, they concluded, and I'm quoting here, this much is true, in the United States, the abortion rate for black women is almost five times that for white women. Anti-abortion activists, including some African-American pastors, have been waging a campaign around this fact falsely asserting the disparity is the result of aggressive marketing by abortion providers to minority communities. And they went on to conclude that these pastors appear intent on trying to protect minority women from themselves. And no, the pastors are trying to protect minority women from abortion. It couldn't be any clearer. And yet it seems as though Reverend Beasy simply picked up the Guttmacher talking points and somehow went along with their 
justification. Well, cl- clearly, Kim, there is a very dangerous agenda at foot here. Let me uh, jump to a quick call here, too, before our time is up. James in Union City, come on in with your comment or question for Kim Katola. Hi, Kim, and uh, pleasure to be on your show. I, I had a question. Uh, a few months ago, a friend of mine, we were talking about this subject, and uh, he, he had told me that uh, basically uh, uh, Planned Parenthood couldn't use our tax money for abortions so I looked into it and looked back on their website that that's what they're saying that they can't uh, but they must be using some kind of double talk I think because it seems like that is what they're in the business for so I wonder if you had any clarity on that subject alright good question uh, Kim any insights you can offer our caller here uh, you know it's not my area of expertise so my understanding of it is that the funds are not fungible uh, and again I'm not an accountant but in other words um, you, you can't you can't set it out. You know, you, you might be able to make envelopes for your grocery money versus your rent money in your home budget, but once <laughs> once they've collected their uh, donations, because they are a nonprofit, as well as their uh, political action funds, because they're a PAC, they, uh, they have, you know, an aspect of their organization that is a political action. And then uh, the reproductive health services versus the abortion services, well, how do you really sort that out? Well, you really can't. It all goes into one organization, and at the end of the day, okay, let's say that they're not directly using the tax dollar to perform an abortion, but they're taking monies that are then being shifted somewhere else so that they're either using the money to promote abortion in the black community or that frees up dollars from other areas to perform abortion. So in the end, it's all the same thing. To suggest that it's not all coming out of the same Hot, so to speak, uh, James, it, is, you know, is, is... Go ahead, the, please. The proof is in the pudding. I, Planned Parenthood has argued, I've heard them on the news, and I again, not my expertise, but they've argued that it represents, that their abortion revenue represents only 3% of their annual budget. Okay, so, you know what, if they were against abortion, and they really were convinced that it, it takes a human life and that it harms women, couldn't they put that resource into helping women, literally helping women prevent abortions just by not offering to do it anymore? Well, I yeah. mean, point, point well taken. In the end of the day, it also demonstrates that the agenda behind the existence of this organization that is clearly out and available on the Internet for anybody to read goes back to the original vision of its founder, Margaret Sanger, and that is the science of eugenics, meaning the survival of the fittest, and the idea that certain people groups have a greater right to exist than others do. And one of these days we get more time on the topic. We'll dive into this a bit more deeper. We're unfortunately out of time. Kim Coltilla, thanks so much for being with us tonight. Folks want to get more information about the comments made by Reverend Carlton V.C. of the Religious Coalition for Reproductive Choice. You can get details on that topic and on Kim's work on the web at Kim Katola, K-E-H-T, I'm sorry, K-E-T-O-L-A dot com. That's Kim Katola dot com. Well, that's going to do it for this edition of Lifeline. Thanks so much for being with us. And if there was anything you heard on today's show that you'd like to hear again or share with a friend, grab a copy of the Lifeline podcast. Simply log on to KFAX.com. That's KFAX.com for the Lifeline podcast. Our producer is Wanda Sanchez. I'm Craig Roberts. Till next time round, remember, just don't keep the faith. Get out there and share it and make it a great evening. So long. Opinions expressed in the preceding program do not necessarily represent the views of the ownership, staff, or management of KFAX. Copyright Salem Communications. All rights reserved.
Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.